worship everyone a, a warm welcome as we meet to worship God, whether we're here in the building or whether you're joining us online. Just one notice for those of us who are here, there is refreshments after the service. Everyone is welcome to stay and have a cup of tea afterwards. We're going to sing our, our first song, our first hymn, which is Glory to Jesus, Risen, Conquering Son. And Ray, can we pop to the chorus? And endless is the victory over death you've won. We've come to worship, haven't we, a saviour who has risen from the death, who has beaten death, and he has won that victory. Let's stand and sing as the music starts. reading tonight is going to be from Revelation and chapter 1, which is on page 1028 in the church Bibles. Revelation chapter 1. So, the Christians who were alive at the time would have seen most of the apostles martyred. We have one left and that is the apostle John. They have seen death, they are facing persecution And Jesus and God reveals this letter to John and we have some of the letters written to the churches. Well, I'm not going to say too much on those, but just to say, as I read chapter 1, some of the phrases that appear in chapter 1 are then repeated in the letters. And we're going to be looking at the letter to the church in Smyrna today, the second one in John's series. But some of these phrases that are in Revelation chapter 1 actually reappear throughout the letters. Let's read Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. 
he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamon and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he reads God's word. So we're going to sit, we're going to stand, and we're going to sing our, our next hymn, which actually could have been sung this morning. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. But Ray, could we move to verse three, please? So on verse three, is it okay? Not the one Let's read verse four, verse one again then. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is His new creation by water and the word. Thank you.
Well, before we pray, um, the letter to Smyrna is very much about a church that is going to be persecuted. And if I was to ask anyone here, could you name the top ten persecuted countries in the world, I wonder what you would say. Well, we've got a video from a charity called Open Doors, and we're not promoting Open Doors, but just as you watch the video, it might help us with our prayer life to pray for those countries where the Christians are facing persecution. Um, It's a four-minute video, and see if there's any surprises on there. There was one that surprised me as I watched it. Thank you, Ray. There are countries where Christians live in fear, where churches are bombed and houses burned, where following Jesus means sacrificing jobs, security, family. There are countries where you must keep your faith secret or it might get you killed. These are the countries of the Open Doors World Watch List. And here are the 10 countries where following Jesus costs the most. Number 10, India. Many extremists claim that to be Indian is to be Hindu. They want an India without religious minorities and they are using violence to achieve it. Number nine, Iran. Iranian Christians must meet secretly. Being discovered could mean long sentences in appalling prisons. Number eight, Pakistan. Christians in Pakistan are considered second-class citizens. Innocent believers are falsely accused of blasphemy. Thousands of women are victims of kidnap and forced conversion. Number seven, Nigeria. Nigeria is the country where Christians face the most outright violence. Many Christians have been killed or driven from their homes. Number six, Eritrea. More than 1,000 Christians are imprisoned for their faith in Eritrea. Some pastors have been locked up for over a decade without charge. Number five, Yemen. Yemeni culture is tribal. Those who leave the tribal faith could be banished or even killed. Number four, Libya. In this lawless land, Libyan Christians have to keep their faith secret or risk punishment, arrest or death. Number three, Somalia. Islamist extremists consider Somali Christians high value targets. So the tiny population of only a few hundred secret believers keep out of sight. Number two, North Korea. There are around 400,000 Christians in North Korea. All of them must hide their faith. Discovery means exile, execution, or being worked to death in horrific labor camps. Number one, Afghanistan. The Taliban takeover means that Afghanistan is the new number one, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Many Christians have become refugees. Those who remain must keep their faith utterly secret. There are countries where Christians live in fear, but fear can lead to courage and courage leads to hope. At least 360 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution and discrimination, but they have not given up. And for over 65 years, Open Doors has stood with them. Where Christians are persecuted, our global underground networks supply smuggled Bibles and Christian books spiritual care, emergency food and aid, training and legal advice. Where Christians are free, we work with local churches to raise our voices in prayer, to speak truth to those in power, to strengthen our persecuted family around the world. Because there are countries where Christians have to stay silent, and there are countries where Christians can make a noise. But we are all connected. We are all family, and together, We can help one another to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. Let's pray. Father God, as we come into into your presence, we know 
that we come before an almighty God. We come before the King of Kings. We come before the Lord of Lords. We come before a victorious Jesus who was put to death and yet rose again and is seated at your right hand in the heavens above on high. He's been victorious. Death no longer holds the threat that it once did. And we thank you that Jesus, you were willing to face the crucifixion, to go through the pain of the separation from your Father, to die, so that each of us who come to you, who come and ask for forgiveness, can be forgiven. Each of us know that if we follow you and we believe and trust in you, that we have a better world to go to. A world where there is no crime. A world where there is no sin. A world where there is perfection and peace. A world where you are the centre of it. And there is nothing to contaminate our worship of you. Lord, we pray that for those of us that have that hope, what a great hope it is, what a certain hope it is, what a joyful expectation to, to meet you and be able to praise you and worship you without the effects of sin. But Lord, we remember those who do not know you, who do not have that belief, who do not have that trust. Lord God, we pray that perhaps today your spirit would enable them to understand and teach them about their need of salvation through you. But Lord, we come to you with thankfulness that we can meet here in Crowborough, Lord, without fear of anyone coming through the doors. Lord, we don't have to keep our Christianity secret. We don't have to keep our faith and our belief quiet. To our shame, sometimes we do. But Lord, we don't have to because of the peace that you have given us. But we've been reflecting as we've watched that video of those around the world who still worship you, who still praise you in a different way, in the quietness of the home, in the quietness of their heart, because of fear of man, because of the authorities that are happy to use violence, Lord, to, to stop them. Yet they know that beyond death, there is something much better. Lord God, we ask that you would strengthen them. It's so easy for us to pray these words, but Lord, we pray that they would look to you for strength, that they would be able to cast their cares on you. We pray that you would uphold them and give them peace. We pray that you would bless them. We pray that you would draw close to them and that they would feel your presence close to them as they live their lives. Lord God, help us to be thankful for the privileges we have, for the freedoms that we have. And we pray that we would join with our brothers and sisters across the world in our prayers. Lord, knowing that we worship the same Saviour and the same God, knowing that there is that better place to come. And Lord, and death will not separate us from it. Lord, as we think of uh, things closer to us, Lord, we pray for this coming week. We pray for um, those going through um, different events this week. We pray for those who um, are going into hospital. We ask for your healing hand upon them. We pray for skill to be given to the surgeons and the doctors and the medical teams. And Lord, we pray that you would give quick recovery for all those having operations. Lord, we uh, commit to you, Kevin and Lydia. We ask that you would be with them on Tuesday. We pray for them as they start their marriage life together. We pray that you would be in the midst of that marriage life. as that three, that three twine cord that is not easily broken. Lord, we pray you would bless them. Lord, as they start their marriage life together. Lord God, we uh, want to commit to you at this time, our government. Lord, we pray that you would intervene. We ask that you would, for those who are seeking power, you would draw them. You would, Lord, enable them to look to you for wisdom. 
enabled them to look to you for help. We pray that they would not be relying on their own strengths, on their own wisdom, on what their colleagues feel. But we pray that as a country, as a government, that we would turn to you for wisdom. Lord, we know that you're a God who can do that. Lord, we know the way you've put kings down before and lifted them up. Lord, and we pray that you would do the same here in the UK. Lord God, we just want to commit to you those who are planning to open a beacon see you. We ask that you would help them as they do that. Lord, as they um, organise that, and we pray that you would bless that activity, and we ask that through that see you, others would be brought to know you as their saviour. We thank you that your kingdom is expanding. We thank you that there are those who, despite the difficulties of life, despite Satan's best intentions to stop people coming to you, your kingdom is growing. And we ask that we would would see more added to your kingdom. Lord, we thank you that in Cyprus uh, they were able to baptise four students yesterday. We thank you for the encouragements there. But we long to see it here as well. Um, And we long to see your kingdom uh, growing. Lord God, again, we want to acknowledge that you are victorious. Lord, that death is not what it was. Because there is that, that better place to come where we can be with you. And we ask that you would be with John now. When he comes to bring your word to us, uh, Lord, we pray that you would help him. And Lord, the Spirit would help us to understand that letter to Smyrna. And Lord, may we be strengthened by it, even though the persecution we may face is minor compared to many across the world. But Lord, we realise that we, that we are, or we have, an enemy who wants to stop us worshipping you. And Lord, strengthen us as we face that on a day-to-day basis. Amen. We're going to uh, have our second reading, which is in Revelation um, chapter 2. We're going to read the letter to the church in Smyrna, verses 8 to 11. And as I read it out, perhaps just look for phrases that you think stand out in that letter. Phrases that stand out in that letter. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So we're going to um, stand when the music starts with our third hymn, which is, O Church, arise and put your armour on. Hear the call of Christ our Captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. Let's stand and sing.
We're going through these seven letters to the churches in Revelation, a series I hope will prove really helpful to us. And it's good to remember that they are in the book of Revelation. Revelation, this vision given to John where Jesus reveals himself to him, and which shows the big picture of the struggles on earth and uh, in the churches and the final victory by Christ. And uh, these seven letters fall within this book, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And there are some connections, as Martin pointed out, between the first chapter, some of those phrases come into our letters which show that they are linked. And in some ways we can see these letters as like little cameos of life on earth, slices of life on earth. So there is a heavenly battle going on, a cosmic battle, spiritual forces, but the way it works out, we're given a flavour of in these seven different little cases, really, in the letters to the churches that we're going through. And they do give us a flavour of the sort of situations which we come across in the life of churches And we found that, I think, quite challengingly last week when we looked at the first one, Ephesus, the loveless church. And as we go through the others, we see different situations with different lessons for us as we go through. It's as if we're invited to look over the shoulder of the churches as they open their mail and look at what Christ has written to them. The lessons are for all the churches In each of the letters you get a phrase, something along these lines, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this evening we hear what the Spirit says to us by looking at the letter to the church at Smyrna, Revelation 2, 8 to 11. Now Smyrna was a big city. It's now called Izmir. It's Turkey's third city, a little bit up the coast from Ephesus. It uh, was heavenly Romanized, a colony actually in those days, and it was the city which had the first to have a, a temple to the Emperor Tiberius, so strongly intertwined with Rome and Roman expectations. And from the letter that we look at here, it is clear that the church there was a suffering church. A suffering church. And I hope as we go through this letter that um, we can read it almost, if you like, on three levels. Firstly, I'm hoping it will give us some insight and um, concern and prayerful interest into the plight of many who suffer much as Christians around the globe. 
So we saw that Open Doors video and maybe it just sort of sobered you a bit to think of what other Christians face. And looking at this letter, I hope that will promote that. I, I felt almost a bit smug behind my desk, comfortable room, typing away, preparing, when you think of so many suffering so much. Secondly, I hope it will give us help in our persecution that we experience. We don't experience anything like some of those in other countries, but um, it is still a widespread thing, persecution, and um, we do experience it in the UK, and I think it's likely to be a growing feature of what it is to be a Christian in this country. And there may be now ways in which in your family, or at school, or in work, you're experiencing something along these lines, and the letter may help. And then thirdly, we we all face difficulty more generally, not necessarily persecution, but suffering more generally. And although persecution is the focus of this letter, there are spin-offs, and I think some of the things that we look at will be more generally helpful to us in our suffering. Well, you know there is a, a pattern to these letters. They're all addressed to the, to the angel of the church. It's likely that this is either the pastor or a liable messenger, just somebody who will pass the message on and bring it to the attention of the church. And then in each of them you have four main aspects. I'll just flag them up. You have a description of Jesus. The words of, dot, 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 and then there's a description of Jesus. You have the diagnosis of their situation, starting with, I know, I know, and there's a diagnosis, comment on their situation. There is a a direction, a direction in going forward, how the church should respond to the current situation that they're in. And then lastly, there are prospects mentioned ahead of them as an encouragement. So you'll see that for all of them as we go through these Sunday evening. And here, actually, we've got one per verse. We've got four verses, and each of the verse has one of those things on it. Now, as this is the shortest letter, I'm hoping to keep have verses up throughout the time. Rather than have headings, I'm going to have the verses up through our time. And my plan is to highlight uh, different parts of the letter Um, that I think are very striking and helpful for us in our suffering and in thinking of others who are suffering. Initially I was going to go for a phrase or two, but the more time I thought about it, the more phrases I wanted to sort of bring to your attention. So we're going to do that. So we're going to have, here's the first couple of verses... And the first verse lets us see how Jesus describes himself. Um, In most situations, it's really helpful to go back to an aspect of Jesus' character. It's what happens in all of these seven letters, and it's a good pattern for us, actually. Whatever our situation, to think of aspects of the character of Jesus. And often in these letters, what's said is particularly significant to the sort of slice of action that is facing the church that's written to. And what is it here? This is what's said. Verse 9, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who who died and came to life. Each time I highlight that, I'm just going to pause a little bit so that you can sort of take it in a bit yourself first. Reassuring, isn't it, for those who are going through the mill and who would go through the mill uh, when life is chaotic, when the clouds are gathering, where there is a, a sort of smell of death in the air, then to be reminded of Jesus in this way, the first and the last who died and came to life. The first and the last. Also in the first chapter of Revelation, and the last chapter of Revelation, actually ironically as a a phrase, 
So it was there when Martin read it in chapter 1 and verse 17, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I'm before all things, I'm after all things. I am, if you like, the bookends around the world and its history. That he starts things and he has the last word. That he is ultimately in control despite your suffering. The first and the last. And if death is in the frame, and ultimately it will be for us all, how about the second part? Who died and came to life. That too was in the vision of the last chapter in verse 18. And the living one, I I died and behold I am alive forevermore. Our death conquering Lord the risen and resurrected Jesus. What a good description of Jesus for a suffering church, a persecuted church. What a good description of Jesus for us in any persecution or suffering that we are facing. He is the first and the last who died and came to life. So we're off to a good start And then we move on to the the second verse, which is the diagnosis. And he begins with the familiar uh, words, but I want us to just stop on them for a bit, which is, I know. I know. The full verse reads, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus knows the situation. How much do you know about the situation of believers in um, Afghanistan, or North Korea, or northern Nigeria. Well, like me, you know very little. But Jesus knows about each church, each individual, not just each country. And that's a great comfort in itself. Jesus says, I know. For us, on the the pathway of opposition, maybe. He knows if your friends laugh at you because you're a Christian. He knows if your family pokes fun at you because of your faith. He knows that your work situation, perhaps, is a little precarious, chiefly because you're trying to do what pleases him and it's running you into difficulties. He knows that your teacher maybe is rather down on you because of your view of sexual ethics doesn't really tie in to theirs or the approach of school in general. He knows. A three words which summarise what he knows. He knows your trouble, your poverty, and he knows the slander. Now, this is already their lot. This is what they're already going through. Trouble, poverty, slander. And Jesus knows when we face trouble. Jesus knows when we experience being poor. And Jesus knows when religious people, perhaps, are talking about us in a way which damages us and our prospects. I know. But before we move on from those verses, I just can't resist drawing attention to what's in the brackets. 
strange, isn't it, how messages in the past stay in your mind sometimes. I was a student at uh, Coventry. This would have been the late 80s. Paul Watts, some of you know him, did uh, an evening series on the seven letters to the churches. He particularly picked out this phrase. Stayed in my mind. Isn't that that lovely? A gift from God that has stayed in my mind. And it was this phrase. But you are rich. But you are rich. I guess that would have carried its encouragement. They were poor. That could well have been because they were Christians. Maybe they'd had things confiscated. Perhaps they were quite likely that they were excluded from some of the trade circles because of their faith. So people wouldn't deal with them or buy from them. They weren't part of the trade guild, which linked itself to some form of idolatry. Maybe you're on the poorer end of the spectrum. And things are hard. And you don't have the income that others have. And you stumble along. And, And it's pretty tough at times. What a lovely phrase, but you are rich. Rich because they knew Jesus and were aware of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Rich because they knew God's grace, the riches of his grace. Rich because they had treasure in heaven. Believer, you may be poor, but you are rich what really matters. Before we move on, it's worth just noticing that there's um, actually nothing negative said about the church. For most of the churches we've come across, there's some pluses and some minuses. We saw that last week, there was both. Quite shocking the contrast and seeing them together. But here there is nothing negative. Two of them, there is nothing negative, and one of them is Smyrna. What an encouragement must have been for the suffering, struggling church to have that knowledge and encouragement from Christ. Well, let's go on to the words of direction, which come next in the next verse. How are they to go forward? It's in verse 10. Let me read it and then I'm going to pluck two different parts out of it. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Let's pick out the way it starts. We've got it there already. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. They have suffered and they will suffer more. Um, the verse goes on to say that some of them will be imprisoned. Well, it's not nice today to end up in prison, and I imagine that it was even worse then, but that was the lot of some of the Christians who wouldn't toe the line of the emperor worship. They would be imprisoned. <coughs> it was perhaps the Romans behind it. It was perhaps the religious opposition behind it, the synagogue of Satan, some sort of Jewish group which were against the Christians. But ultimately it was Satan at work behind the different people involved. And so it says there in verse 10, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. But the Lord is in 
over all control. Why is it ten days? Was it a very short-term sentence of just ten days? I don't think so. I don't think it's being literal when it says you will be thrown into prison for ten days. I think picture language, symbolic. It's known and it's limited. I know how long you're going to suffer and I've put an end to it. It won't keep going on and on. It could be to do with the fact that 10 is shorter, than 12 is a complete number, 10 is a shorter number than that, maybe. But it's limited and it's under control. So they were to suffer. It doesn't say you won't suffer. It doesn't say, oh, I've put a stop to it immediately now, or you've happened in the past is to finish. No, there is more to come. But what it does say is don't fear what you're about to suffer. Don't fear. Don't be frightened of the suffering. Sometimes, it's like this, isn't it, that actually the fear of suffering is worse than suffering itself. Don't you find that? Sometimes the fear of suffering is worse than the suffering itself. And it's good when we're facing possible suffering to recall that God is in overall control, that he is under his control and that it's limited and it's not the end of the story. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. I think that's probably quite a good phrase for a good number of us. And then he adds this extra encouragement for them to be persevering and we pick up the last bit of verse 10 where it says this. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of of life. Well, they're good words for all of us, aren't they? To keep faithful to Christ despite the ups and downs that we may face. Uh, Perhaps particularly good words for those of us who feel that maybe we're on the final stretch of this life and we are finding it very hard. The difficulties, the limitation, the daily problems. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. But here particularly in mind is that some may need to be faithful even at the loss of their lives. We heard in the video of those facing execution. It's good for us to be thoughtful that this is going on now, that today there would be people threatened with or or going through execution because of their faith. But Jesus wants us to have a, a longer view, a bigger vision, that there is life beyond. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. That is the victor's crown, not the king's crown. So when they ran races in those days, uh, they didn't get a gold medal at the end of it. They got a, a laurel crown wreath to put on their head. It was their reward. It was the pleasure. It was the enjoyment. It was the satisfaction at the end of all their exhaustion. And Jesus says that beyond the finishing line of this life, there is reward, there's satisfaction. There's a laurel wreath crown, if you like, the the equivalent of of honour and encouragement and pleasure. So be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Do you know of the first uh, Christian martyr that's recorded outside of the New Testament documents. So we've got the New Testament documents, Stephen martyred and others we hear of. Totally reliable because it's in the Bible. There are other records. Well, the first is, uh, as I understand it, a man named Polycarp. Do you know where he served as a Christian? He was the Bishop of Smyrna. 
the city we're learning about, who received this letter. In fact, it was just decades. It was about the year 155 AD. It was thought that the um, Revelation um, letters, the Revelation book, was one of the last, probably the last in the Bible, and it was given probably in the 90s AD. So it was around five decades later. Uh, there are different records of his death, and uh, here is one. So this is at Smyrna, just a few decades after they received this letter from Christ. The proconsul, that's the sort of Roman authority, asked Polycarp when he was sort of being brought before them, uh, threatening with execution, he asked him whether he was Polycarp. On hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize, to leave the Christian faith. Saying, have respect for your old age, swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent, that is, uh, repent from trusting Christ, turn away from Christ, change your mind, in other words. Reproach Christ and I will set you free. Just reject Christ, say you're not a Christian anymore, and you can go home. He replied, 86 years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? I have wild animals here, the proconsul said. I will throw you to them if you do not change your mind. Call them, Polycarp replied. It is unthinkable for me to repent. If you despise the animals, I will have you burned. You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished, but you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. He was faithful unto death a resident of Smyrna, 50, 60 years after this letter. I suspect he had this letter in mind, don't you? I suspect he had this phrase in mind, don't you? Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And this letter, these words, his example, acts as an encouragement for us in the things we face, the difficulties we endure in living for Christ. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Then lastly we'll pick up some words in the, the prospects. For those who conquer. It always ends up with some prospects for those who conquer. And we have it here then in verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Well, there is a first death. And sadly, normally, that that does hurt. But the second death hurts more. Uh, There is a second death. We have an alarming description of it later in Revelation 21 and verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable... As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, that is those who have not repented from those ways of life, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulphur, which is the second death. It's like Jesus said when he was speaking in Luke 12 and verse 4, I tell you my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, And after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you as whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed 
has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. There's a first death and a second death. Um, Of Polycarp, one of the records says that he was actually spared uh, the flames to some degree. uh, That the the flames, when they they set the fire around him, uh, that the flames formed a a heart shape and, and didn't actually burn him. And it says... That he was, so he was spared that, but he wasn't spared being hurt because the, the soldiers then saw it and they decided him to stab him to death. So he was spared to death. So he, he, he experienced the first death and it, it definitely hurt for Polycarp. But Polycarp knew he was safe in Christ and he was safe from the second death. And you can tell that from his prayer before he died that hell had no hold on him. He was safe as a believer. It carries on. They simply bound him with his hands behind him. He looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup or the suffering of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. I bless you and glorify you along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. To you with him through the Holy Ghost be glory now and forever. Amen. Well, to some extent, we all fear the first death. We don't know how it would be for us. We don't look forward. We hope it's gentle. We hope it's quick. But do you fear the second death? The judgment of God? Eternal hell, as the Bible describes it. Well, if you trust in Christ, if you turn to him, if you're forgiven by him, then you've no need to be afraid of the second death. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So this is the letter to Smyrna. Let me read it through again and you'll see the highlights as we go to finish. I've got those the wrong way around. There we go. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write... The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison you may be tested and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Well, shall we sing then our final song? which reminds us of the hope that we have if our trust is in Christ and we've turned to him as we face the end of our lives. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong?
Lord, we know there is suffering, opposition, difficulty. There is death at the end of this life. Yet we thank you that we can say, Alleluia, because Christ is our hope in life and death. Amen.